Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue and critique horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never <laughs> learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our space horror theme in space uh, <laughs> with Critters 4 from 1992. Uh, directed by Rupert Harvey, uh, who this was his only directing credit. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but he was also uh, a producer who actually produced the original Critters, uh, as well as Nightmare on Elm Street 5, and I believe he was a line producer on The Blob, so he's got a lot of experience in that area. Uh, it was written by Joseph Lyle, who this is also his only writing credit, and David J. Shaw, who also wrote Critters 3, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, The Crow, just to name a few. So, pretty good writer on that side. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Critters 4 is basically a sequel to, obviously, Critters 1 through 3, involving these little fur, little murdery furballs who... <laughs> the best murder piranhas ever. Exactly. Who, who are from space and just murder everything <laughs> and eat everything. And, and if you've seen the others, you know what, I'm, what the hell I'm talking about, but... Uh, but Critters 4 happens to take them back to space where a crew ends up discovering this pod with our returning hero Charlie as well as a couple of crates inside and then all hell breaks loose and we'll get into all that in a sec. But uh, before that we have some spoiler free stuff we always like to do so as far as releases go this week uh, there's actually some pretty good ones coming out or at least some exciting ones. Uh, so first up is Army of the Dead which is coming to Netflix this week I believe it's also out in theaters already. And this one is from director Zack Snyder, who uh, the last time we saw him dealing with zombies, I believe, was Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Um, so I know there's a lot, of, a lot of fans out there of that one. Chris probably knows him from Sucker Punch because you love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it is fucking gorgeous. Well, it is. And I mean, that's Zack Snyder's skill, right? It's yeah. like... I. I also don't really believe he's the best storyteller, in my opinion. No. But but he does make really beautiful-looking films. He has his own style to him, so it, it's kind of a love or hater, right? You either, yeah. love, you either love Snyder or you don't. And but I but I've always been a fan for the most part. I'm not a fan of his fans because <laughs> they tend to be assholes. I don't know what you all are being such dicks about with Army of the Dead. But anyway, so that's coming out, and this one's basically. Uh, about a, a group of people trying to commit a heist in Las Vegas during, like, a zombie apocalypse. What? And it just looks fucking crazy where there's, like, a, a zombie king and queen and there's, like, a zombie tiger or something like that. A zombie tiger? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. Uh, I, I've heard mixed things about it, but I'm of the camp of it looks exciting and I can't wait to have fun with it. Also, it looks super colorful. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. But anyway, so that's coming out this week. Uh, there's another one called Dementia Part 2, which is basically... I'm trying to think of a way to s describe it without spoiling it, but this one's basically a kind of bizarre sort of experimental film that was sort of done on a dare, if I remember the story behind it correctly, where, where I believe the producer told the filmmakers, like, hey, make me a movie in, like, this amount of time, and, uh, you know, and this is what came out of it, but... That's the greatest um, thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically about this uh, repairman who goes to this old woman's house, and, and she has dementia, and it, honestly, to say anything more than that would probably spoil it. Like, let I'll just leave it at that. Things get really weird really fast, <laughs> <laughs> and they also get really gross really fast, and... Like, uh, so this is from a company called Dark Star Pictures, and they, they also partnered with uh, Bloody Disgusting on this one. And it, something that I've been loving about Dark Star is that all of their movies are very strange and typically very gross. So, like, another one they came out with recently was Honeydew, uh, which was kind of like a fun little cannibal movie. But, but this one gets super bizarre and super nasty. There's definitely a few moments that'll have 
some of you kind of, you know, maybe gagging and <laughs> and trying to avert your eyes, but unable to because you can't look away from the weirdness. But so that's coming out this week, and I, I personally really enjoyed that one. It's, it's definitely not going to be for everybody, but I had a good time with it. Uh, and then lastly is a film called Seance from first-time director Simon Barrett, who a lot of you probably know is the writer of You're Next and The Guest, and he, he's worked with Adam Wienert a lot, so so a lot of projects that Adam Wienert's done, he's been the writer on that. Uh, but this is a directorial debut, and it's basically about a group of girls at an all-girls campus who uh, are trying to summon this spirit to find out what happened to... Uh, their friend who died there and uh, that's another one i don't really want to get too much into um i i was very mixed on this one it's <laughs> it, it does it does some kind of fun old school horror stuff you know like it like i really love the setup it's got a nice gothic atmosphere to it and it's not it's not the type of ghost story that's like throwing jump scares at you every second you know it like it's very moody it tries to build things my problem is that it tries to combine a few genres and doesn't really uh. do it as successfully as I would have liked to have seen. And, and like, it just, it kind of gets needlessly complicated, oh. <laughs> but, but it is, it's one worth checking out. You know, I, I think if you're a fan of that filmmaker and of some of the cast, like Suki Waterhouse is in it, you know, if you're a fan of those people, I'd recommend checking it out. And, and if you like ghost stories, I think it's worth seeing. I just, I expect people to be very mixed on this one. So uh, but anyway, so those are releases coming out this week. Uh, every week on Twitter, we also like to post up a poll on our Twitter page, at Killer Critics, kind of get your all thoughts and feelings on the film that we're talking about. So uh, between Love It, It's Fine, Don't Like It, Never Seen It, where do you think the audience falls on Critters 4? Um, look, I love the Krites, so I'm going to go with It's Fine. I know that this isn't a great movie, but I hope you all at least like think that it's an okay film. <laughs> So this poll massively disappointed me um, <laughs> because uh, Love It is 12.1%. Mm. It's Fine was 20.7%. Don't Like It was 10.3%. And Never Seen It was a whopping 56.9%. And, and I, I just I just have to say, like, look, sometimes I get that part in the poll when it's like Planet of the Vampires that we did last week. You know, mm. this like kind of, I, I don't want to call it obscure because it's a Mario Bava film and I think a lot of people know of it, but... This this much more ancient film from <laughs> all the way back from 1965 or whatever, right? Mm. I get it if you haven't seen that one. Critters 4, though? Critters 4. This came out in 1992, which I guess at this point is ancient now. Y'all just make me feel <laughs> fucking old every week. Um, <laughs> but, but Critters 4 is 1992. It's a sequel to a... I don't. I guess maybe saying big franchise, I, yeah. a bigger franchise. It's a sequel to a bigger franchise, right? So yeah. Um. So yeah, no, I'm disappointed by this one. I get it though, in a sense, because Critters Store, because Critters Three, and Critters Four were not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> um. Despite Critters Three being, I, I want to say, the debut of Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> as a as a child actor. <laughs> But no, yeah, oh, th man, this one hurt. This one makes me feel old, because I'm just like, I grew up with this movie. Like, I watched Critters 4 every fucking week when I was a kid, I think. Like, Nerd. I was obsessed <laughs> I was obsessed with that franchise. Like, I watch those movies all the time, you know? So so now to be like, oh, nobody's seen, nobody's seen Critters 4 now? I'm like, what are you people watching? <laughs> See, this makes me worry that people just aren't watching Critters these days. That, like, that's, it's not that's even also number possible four. Too. I mean, look, there, there might be a lot of people who, who they're their idea of what Critters is mm. is like the two recent not very great sequels of uh, <laughs> Critters Attack and I, I forget what the other one was, but they weren't very great, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> although I did it, I did enjoy uh, the one uh, directed by the Zombievers director who I'm blanking on the name of right now, but 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 yeah, no, I, I assume that a lot of people might just think that that's what Critters is and they might not be as familiar maybe with the first two. Although y'all y'all gotta know Mick Garris' Critters too, because that's like the prime Easter horror film. It's amazing. <laughs> well, here's my thing. Like, if you haven't, if anybody listening hasn't watched any of the Critter movies, hasn't been on the fence about it, I'm sure you've watched Gremlins, because everybody's fucking watched Gremlins. Critters actually got accused of being a Gremlins ripoff, even though that was false, because Critters was actually in development before Gremlins was ever a thing, so... <laughs> Which makes sense, and that's kind of my thing, is that, like, there are, you know, similar points to why you, like, Critters is very different, because Gremlins, they're just going around causing chaos. Critters will eat 
everything in sight and they can swear you get subtitles with critters so you get to hear what they're saying which i feel like for me personally makes them better than gremlins yeah no i mean it's you definitely get your own flavor with each right like i i love in the first critters when d wallace comes out with a shotgun and shoots one of them and the other one's like fuck and rolls away right um, but anyway, so no, so yeah, it, it, clearly uh, not a lot of Critters 4 fans probably listening to this episode, so. <laughs> um, but hopefully we can at least convince you to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do also do comments from uh, some of y'all to get your opinions on the film, and we, we didn't get many for this one, obviously, since no yeah. one's seen it, uh, but I do have one comment from, uh, and this is from Twitter, at Yamatokira54, so that's Y-A-M-A-T-O. K-I-R-A, and then the number is 54. Uh, and they just say it was set in space, and of course it had our original hero back, so of course it was great. Yeah, it's a super fun one. Like, like my favorite set in space sequel will always be Jason X, because I'm a Jason Voorhees slut, whatever. Um, yes, you are. You yep. would be a groupie for Jason Voorhees if you could be. I absolutely would be. I am, but yeah, following the- him on tour, you know, waiting in the van <laughs> as he kills camp counselors, <laughs> baking him pies. That's. I'm sure that's what you would be doing. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's it's a fun one set in space. It's cool getting to see the return of Charlie, and it's got a surprisingly good cast. Just because you do have Brad Dorif is in it, and he's fantastic, and Angela Bassett, and she's this kick-ass pilot. Like, mm. There's a lot, really, to recommend this film, even if it is a bit of a mess at times. You also get a bald critter. And they're the best. I like how you say at times, because Critters 4 is just a mess. But but I'm going to get into why that is. (laughs) Uh, Because it it has its reasons. Um, But no, I I agree with uh, Yama Takira in that uh, it's great having Charlie back. You know, it's been a while, honestly, since I've seen Critters 3. Um, I I actually think it's my least watched from the first four, oddly enough. It Um, is. I can't remember how much Charlie's in that one. I want to say he's not in it a ton. Uh, so so this is kind of nice getting him back for a big chunk of the movie. Although in this one, too, he's only in it for half of it as well. But yeah, no, we got Charlie back. Uh, I'm Chris is a slut for Jason. I'm a slut for space <laughs> horror movies. Like, I, I am a total slut for franchises going to space, you yeah. know, so... Uh, so so I, I like it just on those grounds alone that it's this horror franchise that goes to space. And with Critters, it makes sense because, you know, the Critters are actually from space. So it's probably the only franchise to go to space like this that made sense in the horror <laughs> genre. <Yep. laughs> but no, I'm with you. Yeah, you got Brad Dorif of Child's Play, Chucky fame, right? So, so no, yeah, it, I think it's a fun film. Like, for me, I would rate it as it's fine. I don't love it. I love Critters, yep. I lo- I, and I enjoy all of these movies, even the more recent sequels that weren't as good, right? I um, love the miniseries. It's so weird. No, the miniseries was fun, and it's very weird, but I, I'm not going <laughs> to rate it as, like, good quality. No. So. <laughs> but no, but I like all of them. But yeah, Critters 4 is probably, quite honestly, my least favorite of the initial four, uh, just because it is kind of a mess and it's it's not exactly the most exciting critters sequels <laughs> yeah but that being said i do still recommend you check it out so thank you uh yamatakira 54 for the comment really appreciate it so one last thing we'd like to do before we get in the spoilers is talk about the tagline versus the movie kind of talk about the tagline for the film and what we think of it overall so uh the tagline for critters 4 was in space they love to hear you scream <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Critters 4? Look, I think the tagline is perfect for Critters 4 because Critters 4 does a lot of like, you know, homages to other sci-fi movies. Like we have an homage to Star Wars. We have homages to Alien. So it's perfect that the tagline is also like an homage to the most famous sci-fi horror tagline. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we talked about Alien earlier this month and how it's got the perfect tagline and how it's kind of one of those where... You could never really top it in the horror or sci-fi genre, right? Mm-hmm. And so the next best thing is to just kind of copycat it and, <laughs> <laughs> and do a spoof of it. So no, Cruise 4 gets a ton of credit for me for, for that tagline. Because you're right, it, it fits it as well in the sense that 
the movie is kind of it does it does have a lot of uh, references to other sci-fi horror films and stuff like that. So <laughs> um, for me, I I like Crit- Critters is probably as a creature one of my favorite creatures in horror. Like you know, for Matt, it's all about werewolves, but for Fuck me, yeah, it's about werewolves. <laughs> yeah, it is. Not denying that they're awesome, but for me, you give me tiny little fuzzballs that roll around, eat everything, are insanely vicious, and swear, and they are going to be my favorite creature ever. I don't think that they're... Occasionally, we'll watch a, like, one-off creature feature that, like, maybe comes close to how much I love a crate, but these are my favorite creatures in horror. And for me, with number four, I personally would rank it probably at number three in those those first four original ones, because mm. we have only watched number three once, and I don't remember it, so it doesn't well, not get to be we. I've, I've seen number three a lot, uh, uh, quite a few times, but yeah, together, we've probably you, watched it once. <laughs> yeah, that's why I know that number three is your least watched one, because you've only watched it with me once. And it's all Leo DiCaprio's fault. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's actually pretty good in that. Um but but no, so for for me with Curtis Ford, so I I actually think that this movie, you know, why I wanted to talk about it and why I think it's interesting is that uh despite it actually being my least favorite of those first four Critters movies, but also it's kind of my least favorite franchise goes to space uh horror films really i love jason x because jason uh, x is amazing it's amazing i think leprechaun 4 is actually really fun and, and hellraiser 4 i think has a lot going for it too actually that was kind of one i was initially thinking that we should do but then mm. i found out that i lost my hellraiser 4 copies <laughs> <laughs> but that being said I, I i'm glad we're talking about curse 4 because uh, first of all, you know, it's it's kind of like an interesting footnote, I think, in the horror genre in the sense that outside of the kaiju films like Godzilla and Gamera, uh, I'm pretty sure Critters was the first horror, like the first big horror franchise to go to space like this. Really? Um, yeah, I believe so, because all three that we just mentioned, Leprechaun, mm-hmm. Hellraiser, Jason, they all came after this. and And so this is kind of like you know, really the big first one to actually go to space uh, after having a few sequels set on Earth. So so was Critters the one who kind of kicked off this theme of, like, later sequels go to space? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that other horror films or filmmakers looked at this and said, we should do that. <laughs> I, really, I really doubt that anyone was looking at Critters 4 and saying, we got to do that. Um, well, especially it, since there wasn't a Critters 4 five after it right but so but but it is the one that i think it it is the one that was the initial kickstart to it right so Mm -hmm. because because again all those movies came after and they all came very closely after it you know like i think uh like i want to say leprechaun 4 was 94 or something like that and and hellraiser 4 was around the same time uh and yeah just coincidence that they all happen to be the number four (laughs) in the franchise as well but no but it kicked off that and then it's got, you know, it's kind of funked. It's got this sort of Roger Corman vibe to it. You know, if a lot of you are familiar with the kind of old, which I don't know anymore since none of you have seen Curse <laughs> 4, but, but if you're familiar with kind of the, the older Roger Corman uh, movies back when he was doing a lot of sci-fi ripoffs, because Corman loved to rip off Alien. I mean, he ripped off Alien as often as he could. And uh, one of the big ones was Galaxy of Terror, uh, which the director here actually worked with him on. So, so in the commentary, when he's talking about making this movie, one of the things he mentions a lot is how, you know, when you look at the, the cheap sets and all that kind of stuff, he, he mentions occasionally how he took a lot of influence from his days with working with Corman on Galaxy of Terror and kind of learning those tricks of, you know, how to reuse sets and everything for a film. Because when you're doing something on a low budget in space like this, you don't really have the luxury of you know, spending all the money you want on sets. And so... Nope, you have the, one hallway. Yeah, so like Planet of the Vampires, remember? They <laughs> they had one hallway that Chris was obsessed with because they kept reusing it for different <laughs> uh, for different locations. And, and I mean, that's how that's how you do these movies, right? You just keep reusing and redressing stuff. And so, so it's got that Roger Corman vibe to it. It was shot in Culver City, where we live now, Aww. which I just think is a fun little note. Um, but also, so... A lot of people crap on this movie, and I get it because it is a mess. <laughs> Part of the reason it's a mess is because the director, Rupert Harvey, I think, personally, I think, made a terrible decision here where essentially, from what I understand, it, they were approached by other producers or, or, or people with money, financiers, whatever, who wanted to do another Critters movie, 
but they only wanted to offer them like a couple million dollars, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think at the time they were thinking, well, you know, we're not really going to get the bane for our buck with this or whatever. And so ultimately they somehow th- came to the conclusion that, okay, what we're going to do instead, instead of making uh, one super low budget Critters movie for only two or three million dollars, we're going to make two Critters <laughs> movies. We're going to do it back to back so that we can use like reuse a lot of the props and sets at the same time and then that way we'll put out two cheap movies and and therefore make our money back in a sense because we have two movies making money i i'm not explaining it the way that rupert explains it but that's a terrible idea that's kind of where they were coming from and me personally i sort of think maybe they should have just made the one for for the amount of money that they could um but so so they just shot back to back and that's why you see the bald critter in the film because there is a bald critter in part three, and so oh, they shit. and so they're just reusing that critter, and they had to they had to find a way to make him bald for the movie so they could use it, which is why very early on you see that critter's hair get shot off. So. That is the best thing I've ever heard. Now yeah. I now I have to watch number three again so I can watch my beloved bald crite. Yes, you do. So yeah, they didn't have a lot of they didn't have a lot of critters to work with, so they ended up just reusing them. That's why you see that bald one twice but anyway so i just thought that was kind of fun so but yeah ultimately cruise four it's fine not my favorite but we're gonna get into why this movie's what's going on in this movie we're gonna get into why, what's going on in this movie in a second so so if you have not seen it we're about to get into sports territory do recommend checking it out before we do this because we will talk about everything <laughs> uh it is not streaming that i know of but i'm sure you can find it somewhere for cheap to rent at least uh, and if you do, you know, just have yourself a whole Critters binge. I, I promise you'll have a good time. <laughs> you know, so going into spo- uh, into spoiler territory, you know, we just were talking a little bit about, like, this trend of the fourth movie in these big franchises going to space. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, like, what's wrong with space horror sequels? Because they're never viewed kindly. Well, first of all, I want to I wanna add a question from one of our listeners, uh... Uh, one of our listeners, James, what's up, James? Big supporter of ours, uh, was kind enough to leave a comment that I thought would fit into this question. So, so, so James on Twitter is at James Shannon Mo two. So that's James S H A N N O N M O and then number two. Uh, and he wanted to ask, you know, do we think that having a horror sequel set in space is a good idea? Because, like you just mentioned, this one, Leprechaun Four, Hellraiser Four. None of them were received very well. Jason X got shit on a lot when it released, too. And, and and Jason X has eventually found its fan base. I feel like that one's getting a lot more love these days. Mm-hmm. These other ones, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer his and your question, it's a mixed bag. You know, like, me personally, I love space horror movies. I think every franchise should go to space, you know, because, I like, I sit there and I think about it. Like, you know, Spiral just came out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fucking Jigsaw should go to space. Like, can, yeah. you, can you imagine the traps? I mean... You know, I'm picturing, like, this person where they get the jigsaw tape playing, and it's like, Chris, you have always weighed other people down, but what will you do when there is no gravity to weigh you down? Live or die, or make your choice, you know? Like, some crap like that. So, I mean, I'm just imagining all these, like, anti-gravity traps, and mm. people being, like, sucked out into space slowly, like the alien and alien resurrection where it gets shot out through the tube, right? And it's all of its... Guts are just sucked out oh. bit by bit. Like, that would be fun. I've always loved the idea of, like, Michael Myers in space for some reason. For some reason, I just get a kick out of, like, imagining this really creepy Michael, like, walking through a dark, like, this dark, steamy uh, spaceship corridor, right? Like, uh-huh. that. I think that's kind of a creepy image. So, like, I don't know. There's just something that is inherently charming to me about, about iconic horror villains going to space. I feel like every franchise at one point or another, should do it. <laughs> yeah, it's the requirement. Send them to space, see how they fare. I want to uh, see them shoot Freddy out into space and then him being like, I'm a dream master, motherfuckers. You can't do I mean, shit all to me. I mean, that's that, that's kind of the weird thing about Freddy, though, is, you know, Freddy, I mean, you could... He does. He makes the least sense, probably, for space. Since I don't care, I want him in space. But, no, yeah, I mean, fuck it. Just have him haunting a, a, space, a space crew, right? So... But no, yeah, but I, I want I want every horror franchise in space. Like, to me, is your horror franchise really a successful franchise if you haven't gone to space <laughs> at least once, you know? Like, that's, like, like, I sort of view it like that. And unfortunately, I'm alone in that because, yes, most fans would agree that 
maybe not the best to send <laughs> horror villains to space. Most fans, and I see where they're coming from. You know, typically feel that uh, when your horror franchise goes to space, it's because you're out of ideas and yeah. and there's really nothing left. And I think I think why it marks a decline sometimes is because once you go to space, there's not really a lot to do after that. Like once you go to space. You've kind of blown your load. And, yeah. and there's how do you not... get your villain back to Earth? Well, I mean, it's just like, what what really tops them going to space? I mean, look at Hellraiser 4, for example, right? And I'm about to spoil the ending of Hellraiser 4, so skip ahead a minute if you don't want to hear that. But look at Hellraiser 4. You know, you've got Pinhead in space, and you end up finding out at the end that the entire spaceship is a trap for the Cenobites, where it, it, it ends up um, jigsawing it, itself into, like, a giant... A giant configuration box or whatever. I I am struggling with the name of that <laughs> box right now, um, but it ends up forming into that box, right? And 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 traps the Cenobites and all that. Like, how do you go from giant puzzle box in space to anything after that? <laughs> like, you cannot top that at that point, right? You, you put them in the bottom of the ocean. Sure, but you know, <laughs> and then that's, time travel, and then that's even harder to shoot. Look, the point is, is once you go to space, you've kind of you. You, in a, in, a, in a poor way of putting it, have, have reached the outer limits of that franchise, right? Oh. Um, <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good pun. Yeah, and so, so you know, like, once you do that, it's really tough to kind of come back from that. Jason X was a good example, too, because, yeah, like, once Jason X ends, where's Jason now? He's on, like, some futuristic Earth, so, like, are we going to go to this Earth and then everything's the same and there's nothing futuristic about it? Or, you know, slight futuristic things. I love the idea that everything in that setting feels normal, except for that you have a hover machete that he can control with his mind. Or he could just have a badass machete. I mean, why does it have to be a hover machete? Because I want a hover machete. <laughs> and how can he control his mind? Jason has the, a brain the size of a peanut. He's not going to be able to do that. <laughs> even peanut brains I don't can even control know, I don't things. even know if you could control that machete that well without it just flailing everywhere, cutting people up. <laughs> okay, but that's the whole purpose of me having a machete, right? Oh, fair enough. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you think about space horror films? Like, to... Like, are are you a fan of these franchises doing this? Or well, look, I'm absolutely a fan of it because the ones that I like of the franchises that have done it, which is Critters, Leprechaun, and Jason X, are more kind of campy horror films, which I love in general. So I really like the concept of you know sending these villains into space if they have a campy atmosphere to them. Like fucking send Chucky. I want to see mm. Chucky have to deal with space because that'd be hilarious. He'd be miserable. It would be great. Would be great. Um, so I think it's one of those things of like it's it's understanding the tone of your film and it can do really well because I think it is tough to like take a Halloween type tone. Take that character and and set Michael in such a ridiculous setting. But he's also I disagree. A spaceship with Halloween decorations everywhere. Who doesn't <laughs> want to see that? Just I... just a spaceship corridor lined with jack o' lanterns. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. Okay. I but they did put him in a reality show movie, and so if you're gonna do that with Michael, he can fucking go to space. Well, so just a quick point to your comment. You know, I, I do think that that's the failing of a lot of these movies in in in, in the majority's eyes. Like to mm -hmm. me, again, it's what makes them charming. Uh, but I but I do think that a failing in them is that, you know, you have to understand, like, if you're going to space as one of these franchises, it's not going to be the uh, the most serious, frightening film in the franchise. You know, yeah. like that like that was a mistake, I think, that was made with Critters 4 is uh, the director, you know, mentions that with with part four, he really wanted to go back to more of kind of like the darker sort more serious tone of the first one. Where it's like it's not serious, but mm -hmm. it's it's scarier. Like part two, it really just kind of goes all out, and that's why I love part <laughs> yeah. two. But it but it just goes all out, and it doesn't really take the horror of it as seriously. And he wanted to make it darker, and I think that's a that's a mistake with these movies because you have to understand, like if you're going to space with one of these franchises, you know, four or five sequels in, the the odds that you're gonna have the budget to do like a good space set mm -hmm. is very minuscule right <laughs> so so you have to understand like if you're gonna have a bad space set then your movie should embrace the camp yeah you know? because it's not gonna look real so you might as well just have fun with it and embrace that and i think the mistake a lot of these make and why jason x is i think the best is because jason x actually embraced the camp of going to space absolutely and and the others i feel like tried to kind of stay the same mm -hmm. you know but just do it in space like hellraiser 4 is 
very much a Hellraiser movie, but in space. Leprechaun's very much a Leprechaun movie, but in space. And I think they really need to embrace the campiness of space. Yes. <laughs> Uh, in order to be a little more successful, but all right, so we got to move on from that and actually talk about Critters Four. So, <laughs> uh, so, so as usual, who you want to talk about in this movie? Like you said, we've got uh, Don Keith Oper returning as Charlie, uh, Angela Bassett, pre-famous Angela Bassett. This was like a year before she struck it big. Uh, as Fran, Brad Dorf as Albert. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love his name. Yeah, who do you want to talk about? Uh, so I want to talk about our would-be hero, but not hero, Charlie. I've always had mixed feelings throughout the franchise about Charlie, and I feel you like... would. <laughs> I would. Well, because, like, it's one of those things I think I finally hit my epiphany when we watched it the other day, that Charlie ostensibly is the earnest of horror films. Okay. Like, he, he is that, like... He's supposed to be that lovable character, heart of... And we are getting the spoiler okay. joys now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to spoil so much. I am heart of gold, like, good human being who is just the epitome of chaos and bad decisions. Sure. But really with this one, it's interesting because Charlie has always kind of played a secondary role in all the films. He's the support character. He's the character that's kind of mocked and made fun of. And he kind of steps up and he kind of fucks up. And that's kind of been him in all the films. But for me... Uh, Critters 4 is Charlie's movie. This is about Charlie's kind of emotional journey and everything like that because he has the best emotional beats in this film. And I find it really fascinating to see that done with such a comedic character like who he is like because like oh yeah it opens up on like there's a pod and he has to put the critter eggs in because they want to save these murderous animals which we know is a fucking lie and charlie may has an accident and gets locked in there and jettisoned off into space mm -hmm. i am oh charlie but it's not his fucking fault because there's no directions. So, so what's your point? Like you said, you said you're mixed on him. Why are you so mixed on him well, if it sounds like you feel for him? <laughs> so I'm mixed on him, I think, because I think that they did these really good, intense, emotional beats with him. He's got two in the movie that I think are fantastically done. One is when he finds out that he has been floating in space for like 50 plus years. I think Charlie, out of everyone we've seen, this is a trope we see happen in movies all the time. Someone gets cryogenically frozen, woken up, and Charlie's is the most, I think, realistic and heartbreaking. Just watching his face fall and come to terms with the fact that everybody he knows and everything he knows is dead and gone. Mm. That actor fucking killed it in that scene. It's just, it's so nuanced and great. And after that, we're really watching, like, Charlie kind of come to terms with the fact that he's in this new environment and things are changing, which I think, you know, ends up in this climatic scene between him and Ugg. Like his one space buddy is now evil, corporate like megalomaniac asshole who wants to murder everything with the Krites. And Charlie has this very serious moment where he, you know, shoots Ugg in the face and says people change. And then 10 seconds later, Charlie's pushing the fucking red button and sending them all hurling see, through space. But see, you're missing, you're missing the point of Charlie. Mm -hmm. The point of Charlie is he doesn't change. And, that, and that's why we like Charlie. This is a lie, no, then! No, but that's why we like Charlie. Because <laughs> to me, part of that point is that, you know, the, the, this movie does deal a lot with, uh, with like, corporate greed and... And the way that money changes people mm -hmm. and corruption changes people and all that kind of stuff. And the point the point that I think is being made there is that Charlie is immune to that. You know, Char yeah. Charlie's kind of what we all strive for in a sense, because even though he is this, you know, lovable idiot who constantly makes mistakes, mm -hmm. I, I think that's he he's still like impervious to being corrupted. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the point, you know, is yeah. like he he that right there tells you that he is never going to be a Ugg. You know, he's never going to be that character that turns on his friends or does this or that because of some kind of corruption. He just always is Charlie, right? Mm -hmm. And who Charlie is is kind of us. Like, Charlie, like, why I always liked Charlie growing up is because, you know, first of all, Charlie is kind of like that. He, he's kind of like that first, like, adult friend that you make where, like, he's... You know, he's kind of he, in the first movie, especially he feels more on the kids level. Like, like you know, he, yeah. he's kind of he is kind of simple. Right. And so he, you know, he, he's more on the level of, of the kids in that movie. And and he 
you know, th- there's just something like sweet about him, right? And he mm-hmm. he feels kind of like that that older friend that you have as a kid. And then the way that he's us is just that you know all of us make mistakes, all of us fuck up, all of us want to know what the red button does, right? <laughs> Charlie just kind of encapsulates all of that, right? So so I don't have a problem with what you're talking about. Like to me, to me that again just that's just showing to you that Charlie is is one of the few who doesn't really change for the worse, right? Yeah. He just he just kind of stays the good kind of idiot that he is. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, so much of the movie is like Charlie just making mistakes that gets or almost gets everybody killed. I'm like, Charlie, can you please not roll the ship? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um. Well, so who I want to talk about really quick is just Bernie, played by Eric DeRay. Bernie? And- <laughs> Yeah, but it's for a reason. Like, it's not it's not because I'm infatuated with the character or anything. Because um, if we were going to do that, I would just gloat about Brad Dorf and how much I love him. Um, Over Angela Bassett? Um, excuse me, it's Brad Dorf. Oh, Angela Bassett. <laughs> uh, but, but why I wanted to mention Bernie really quick is just because, you know, I don't know how much we're going to get into this through the episode, but Bernie, to me, uh, represents a major theme going on in the film, which is about, you know, that, that corporate greed and... And I love how he's portrayed with it because, you know, his his character, I think, kind of touches on... And it's really interesting seeing when it's being touched on because his character, you know, this was shot in 1992, and his character strikes me as almost sort of like a commentary on the corruption of the pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. and how, you know, and how they ostensibly have taken advantage of the average American. and. Yep. <laughs> And, and, you know, hike prices on drugs, get people addicted to shit, you know, we're in the opioid crisis and and seeing how that's being dealt with. So to me, it's interesting that it feels like Bernie's this character that's kind of tackling that uh, all the way back in 1992. And here we are 30 years later and (laughs) we're still dealing with the problem, if not a worse problem. Right. And so so like when you watch this, you know, here's this character, Bernie, who he ends up dying because of. We we can only assume that it's got to be one of two things. Either he's gathering these drugs to sell them later, or he himself is like an addict, right? It could be both. And, and it's probably a little bit of both. And so, you know, ultimately he ends up dying in the film because even though they're telling him the critters are coming to his location, he's still like, no, I got to horribly pack up these pills because I'm a fucking <laughs> moron who can't seem to dump a box in a bag. And so he, all these pills are spilling everywhere. <laughs> he is the worst pill thief ever. <laughs> he's a pretty bad pill thief. And, you know, I mean, for God's sakes, they're in fucking bottles and trays for him. Just dump him in the bag, man. Just it's leave not the bag on but, the floor and dump everything in there. Right. But anyway, so, you know, he ends up dying because... They're telling him the critters are coming his way, and he's like, oh, I got to get more pills, you know? And <laughs> and so so you can sort of look at that as, like, part of him is dying because of his greed for it, and part of him is dying because of his addiction, right? Yeah. So, so it, it's just this, it's a small moment. I don't know why I'm focused on it so much, but it's just, like, this little brief moment that I think encapsulates the 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 theme of greed and corruption in just that one tiny scene where it's yeah. like, here's this dude who was dying specifically because of that. <laughs> and because oh. of how corporations have sort of maybe taken advantage of him and gotten him addicted to these things. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that. For me, there's another theme I've seen throughout the movie that I feel like we often see with space movies as well. And that's, there's this huge Western theme in this movie. Like, Ethan's watching a Western movie. Al Burt, because I'm going to say his name because his name is hilarious. You know, he has an old, like, six-shooter gun. Like, what do you make of this Western theme throughout the movie? I just want to quickly comment that uh, another thing with Bernie is that... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck is that, your question! <laughs> is that... Well, I just want to make sure I added that, you know, I also sort of viewed his, like, scrambling and, and gathering all the pills as sort of, like, the way that these companies, like, hoard money, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, okay, your question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a common theme in Space Wars, sort of. But I but for this film particularly, <laughs> you know... It's funny because when I, when I first pose this question, so like a, a little background for all of you is like Chris and I will usually talk just briefly about things that we might want to talk about for the episode, but we never really tell each other what we're going to say about it. Nope. And so so like I had brought up this concept of talking about the Western stuff just because we noticed that there were a couple of Western things. And I got to admit, when I first brought it up, I was like, eh, it'd just be a stupid fun thing. You know, I don't know. There's really much there to talk about. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> and, and then upon viewing the film again, I realized like the Western theme is actually very heavy in this movie. Like it's yeah. it's actually in it quite a bit. And you know, it goes from yeah, like you have Ethan watching the Western as we open the film. Albert's obsessed with Western culture. He has his fucking pistol from way back when or whatever. He's got uh, multiple cowboy boots. He's got multiple cowboy boots, a pair of which Ethan is borrowing. Yep. Uh, the ending itself is like a classic. It's, a shootout. It, it's not a shootout. It's a classic Western standoff. Mm-hmm. And so, so like it ends up playing out all throughout this movie. And the way that I kind of view it, I guess, is that, you know... With the Critters movies specifically, they they all have sort of this small-town America vibe, right? Yes. Uh, like, Critters especially is small-town America. Uh, Critters 2 as well. It's in the same goddamn town. Um, <laughs> 3 is in, like, a, a run-down apartment complex, right? And, and then we here we have Part 4 with a bunch of grunts and stuff like that and people obsessed with Western culture. And anyway, you know... A lot of these movies are sort of focused on this concept of, you know, small town, everyday Americans taking on something greater than themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that actually ends up tying in really well again with this corporate greed that we see so inherent in space horror movies uh, and just sci-fi in general. It ends up pairing really well with that because Charlie himself has always kind of been, to me, sort of the epitome of like the blue collar hero, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at Charlie and he's not, he is not at all <laughs> like, uh, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando or nope. or even Bruce Willis in Die Hard, which is probably one of the more relatable action hero cops in that first movie, right? Because he's vulnerable with his shoes off and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie is, is of, of all of these, you know, heroes, Charlie's kind of the most blue collar American uh, represents everybody kind of hero. And so I guess like, I I just happen to feel like maybe the Western theme has to do with this idea that, that this movie is really about the everyday person kind of taking on, you know, big corporations and corruption and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. I guess for me, I don't watch a whole bunch of like sci-fi media, but some of the ones that I did really get drawn to, which aren't horror ones is like Cowboy Bebop and Firefly, which both of those shows add a Western theme to their sci-fi. And so that's why for me, I find it really common or really natural to see a Western theme combined with sci-fi because, look, it's the last frontier. It's, you know, a lot of it is about, like, going off into space, discovering new things, and I kind of feel like with this salvage ship, because that's what they are, is they kind of have, the people on the ship kind of have two different ways that they can view themselves. They can either view themselves as garbage men, which is kind of what they are, but not Mm. nearly as much fun. But if you overlay it with this almost, like, Earth nostalgia, with which both Albert and Ethan seem to have as that they are cowboys that they're on the edges of frontier edges of society um they're mavericks you know kind of doing what they want to do you know that adds a new narrative to their life that can kind of guide them in these principles and so for me I do agree with you I think that we're looking at like a more common western film where it is the little guys having to rise up against a whole bunch of black hats which we also get in our villains I mean a bunch of black hats I mean basically because they are dressed all in black. I mean, they kind of look like samurai stormtroopers. Cause I, I mean, they look like Darth Vader knockoffs. They do. Like- <laughs> they look like Darth Vader knockoffs. But yeah, the the whole movie has this cool Western vibe, which I think ties into like the morality that we were talking about of you know Charlie versus Ugg. You know good guys versus corporate evil who want to use a cute critter to ruin all well, of space. Well, look, I think, I think, uh, I think you make a point of like, you know, with space films, I mean, yeah, it is the last frontier. It, it is kind of like the wild west in that sense of like, once you get out in the space, I mean, are there really a lot of laws, you know, mm-hmm. we, I, we don't really get a sense of like, you know, things being controlled necessarily out there. Um, so I can see why it works into that. And it's just, it's just the funny thing with movies like this because I don't look at Critters 4 as a film that I really think is trying to say something. <laughs> Critters 4 is more of a kind of movie where it's like, okay, subconsciously, what was the director maybe doing, you know? Yeah. And, and so, like, I don't know. Maybe he was just obsessed with Western themes, right? Maybe. And that's why it's all throughout. But something else I want to talk about, because uh, I, I honestly feel like we could spend a little bit on this yeah. and, and go nowhere with it. So, <laughs> uh, so something else I want to talk about is the fact that 
you have Rick breaking into this pod, right? So again, we're dealing with like greed and that kind of stuff. But I think this goes even deeper with that. Is so what do you how do you feel about Rick, you know, after he's been denied sexy time with <laughs> Fran? <laughs> how do you feel about Rick just going off and be like, fine, I'm gonna break into this pod then and unleash fucking critter hell on us? Oh <laughs> be fair, he doesn't know he's releasing critter hell. He doesn't, but he yeah. might as well. <laughs> Look, I feel like that whole scene, you know, with Rick is, you know, fragile masculinity at its worst. You know, and what I mean by that is that, you know, there is, you know, sometimes this mentality, and we see it with male characters in movies a lot, where they think they're owed something. So we see it a lot with Rick. He thinks that he's owed, you know, respect by his by his crewmates. He thinks that he's owed sexual time because he's peeping on Angela. Sexual time. Sexual time. <laughs> sexy time. From Fran because he's creepily watching her in the shower. And when that doesn't happen and he realizes that everybody's laughing at him, looking down at him, instead of being an adult about the whole situation, being like, nope, I was a creepy asshole, he ostensibly is just being a giant fucking baby and going, fine, I'm going to go steal some shit. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence, too, on what he's doing, because when, when you look at this, it's like, okay, yeah, so here's this, uh, so here's this guy who's just been denied, right, by mm. Fran. And it, it to me, it's no coincidence that the very first thing that he does after that is he goes and penetrates something he's not supposed to. <laughs> Good like, word choice. No, I mean, that's what he's doing, yeah. right? He's penetrating this pod. Like, with his giant laser gun. With his giant laser gun, <laughs> although he probably has a very small laser gun, let's be honest. Um, obviously, he's compensating. Obviously compensating. Um, but no, but he goes and penetrates this pod, which he's not supposed to. Like, it is forbidden to him. And so, of course, he decides, well, I'm going to go fucking do that now, yep. you know? Like, to me, I again, I don't know that it's intentional. I really don't expect much out of <laughs> out of the thematics uh, behind Critters 4 uh, on the surface. But, but, you know, whether it was subconscious or not, I, I do think there's something there of, like, this guy is going directly to go do something and penetrate something he's not supposed to, right? Yep. Like, it, it really... And that's... And that to me is like, yeah, it, it is, uh, the film is kind of an indictment on the male ego, right? And the mm -hmm. fragility of it. Because when you really observe this movie, every bad decision that happens in the film is because of male ego. Yep. Like, like every little thing that happens is because of these dumbasses. Because, I mean, even from the get-go, you know, they're, they're deciding to even bring on this pod uh, because of, like, corruption and... and uh, I guess ego maybe isn't quite there as much, but mm -hmm. but because of these male decisions, basically of like greed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and then and then like on top of that too, and, and this is not, <laughs> this shouldn't be directly related, really, but um, but also too, it, it there there's maybe just like a s bit of symbolism in the fact that not only does he go penetrate this pod that he's not supposed to. But then two awful children show up because of it. Like two horrible monster kids that immediately murder him. Yep. <laughs> Come out of this as well as an adult man baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta be careful what you penetrate. Right. You just, I mean, look, you know, like men hands off. But no, but but it is interesting like how, how the film approaches that. Now, I'm not going to sit here, though, and claim that this film is feminist in any sort of way. Nope. Um, because. Although this, Fran is the most badass character. She is. And, and the director in the commentary, like Rupert Harvey does make it clear that, that he wanted that. He wanted a strong female character. And he and he was really happy that they were able to have a strong black lead as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, especially in 1992, yeah. you really didn't see black women leading horror films. I mean, you really didn't see black women leading a lot of films, right? And so that that in and of itself is another, like, noteworthy element of Critters, two, of Critters 4 is that they had that casting. Because you, were, you really didn't see a great uh, black final girl in a lot of these movies until, like demon knight right which was like mid 90s i think but anyway so you know so yes she's meant to be strong she's meant to be powerful and she's meant to be i think the character that everybody looks up to the thing is though i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like <laughs> like cruise four is a feminist film because outside of that which i think again you know was prefaced by ripley and alien mm -hmm. and and had become more of a trope honestly than it was a a way to be more diverse, you know, I, I viewed it more as that. Like, I, I feel like a lot of sci-fi films 
after Ripley were like, okay, we need a strong female lead now for this movie. Yeah. Once you take that out of it and you look at the rest of this movie, it's like, it, there are just other elements where it's like, okay, yeah, like you mentioned uh, when we were watching it, of how all of the dudes are just standing <laughs> outside the fucking shower. All of them are watching her. It's so creepy. Like, it's really creepy. It's not okay. Uh, the the only other woman, quote unquote, in the film is the fucking stupid ass computer yep. who does everything the opposite of what you tell it to, which I feel like is almost a play on a joke that was, you know, that's been popular forever, which is this idea of like, women are never saying what they want, you know? So yep. it almost feels like a twist on that of, okay, well, you just say what you don't want the computer to do, so it'll do the opposite, you know? It, it just feels like one big giant joke against women. Yeah. It, it really, it does in that sense, but I will say that I do like the fact that with this film, it feels like there's almost immediate karmic response to decisions being made because of ego or hubris. Yeah. I am, because, yeah, you have the captain. He immediately just gets fucked by the critters. He gets fucked by the critters worse than anybody else because they go in his fucking mouth. They do. No, but you're right. Like, every yep. everyone immediately after their bad action yep. gets some trouble. <laughs> I, I think the only one that, like, kind of hurts a little bit with it is um, Albert's death. Because his death is the response to Ethan making a bad decision. Because it's it's Ethan's, I view it as Ethan's karmic punishment for not being an adult and accepting the fact that he'll be able to go to Earth eventually and see his dad that he doesn't even know if his dad is on Earth. Fair enough, but Albert also probably shouldn't have tried to be such a big boy against a bunch of armed dudes who look like Darth Vader knockoffs who got something to He absolutely <laughs> should have. It was the best scene in the movie. I loved him standing up being like, you don't look, do that to me. You don't do that to my friends. Look, I'm just, just going to say the, those Darth Vader knockoffs, they look like every police officer in America who's got a small dick and feels like they have something to prove, right? You yep. know, like they're going to be the first ones to shoot you in the face because you like look at them wrong. So. Yeah. So Albert, I think Albert brought that on himself a little bit more than Ethan. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But it's Albert's fault, too. So. I, for me, the moment that Ethan goes, you're not my dad, and then runs away, I'm like, oh, Albert's going to die now to prove a point. Oh, for sure. But that's not Albert dying to prove a point. That's the movie proving a point of like, hey, fuck you, Ethan, for saying that to Albert. So. He was your dad. Uh, which which sort of brings me into the next point, which is which I'll get to in a sec. But what are your thoughts on this ending, you know, with like finding out that, that Ugg has turned evil, you know? So for those that are listening still that aren't familiar <laughs> with the critters franchise or this movie um <laughs> uh ugg you know has been around since the first film he wasn't really in three as much honestly i i think he's in like one scene in part three if i remember correctly which i probably don't again it's been a while but but he was a major part of the first two as like this intergalactic bounty hunter coming to hunt the krites right and he forms mm-hmm. a friendship with charlie and all that and, and brings him into the bounty hunting fold so how do you feel about like ugg ultimately turning evil in this film i'm so i feel like we see we see part of it in the beginning um when you know charlie's going and getting these last two crate eggs and ugg shows up and it's just like hey bud no it's an endangered species you gotta put it in the pod and charlie's just like they're very dangerous you taught me that why are we doing this? Mm. And for me, my whole takeaway from this, because, you know, Ugg then has a line at the end where he's saying that things change, people change. The way that I kind of view this whole thing is the fact that sometimes people need friends who are more of a moral compass than they are capable of being. Because Ugg's been running around. He's been, he's been a bounty hunter before he met Charlie. So he probably had some pretty loose morals about what was right and what was wrong. So the way I view it is him pairing up with Charlie kind of gave him a bit more of a like moral compass type of thing. And when Charlie mm. disappeared, he lost his friend who was very like solid in knowing what he thought was right and wrong and doing that, even if he was a chaos monster of epic proportions. I, I think... Ugg just started to kind of like backslide and get more taken in by like corporate greed and like he he lost his friend who kept him grounded and so he became a horrible like corporate megalomaniac bent on destroying the universe with Kreitz called Counselor yeah. uh, Tetra. You uh you really read into this relationship, didn't you? This <laughs> is what I do. I form backstories and headcanons. Uh, so look, I mean, I don't think you're totally wrong. I, I do think. <laughs> I like the fact that you're just like, that's a cute story, hon. You're crazy. 
if I remember correctly, I do think that Charlie does a little bit of that for Ugg in part two, especially, you know, because mm-hmm. I believe in part two, Ugg loses his partner early on and then it's like him and Charlie. So so I don't think you're totally wrong. I, just, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a backslide for for Charlie no longer being in Ugg's life like they were fucking romantic partners or something that <laughs> sometimes a good friend keeps you grounded. I guess. I don't know. I just never, I just, you know, it, it was always this thing for me of like, I, I always understood that they had a friendship, but I never viewed it as like some kind of deep friendship, right? <laughs> but, but look, I see what you're saying. To, to me, I, I think Ugg's just pissed that he has to wear that fucking stupid outfit, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I, I think one day he joined Terracor and they were like, this is your uniform now. And he's like, great, I'm going to destroy the universe because of this. <laughs> like, so no, so that no one ever has to wear this again. Um, but no, yeah, that's for, valid. That outfit is horrendous. It's pretty terrible. But no, for real, I, I the first thing is I don't I don't dislike Ugg turning evil. You know, it's not it's not a terrible concept by any means. Uh, I do think that it could have been handled much better than it ultimately was. <laughs> and, and and it's funny. It is funny listening to the commentary because you definitely get the sense from Rupert Harvey that he's maybe one of those filmmakers who's like, I don't fucking care what the fans wanted. <laughs> this is what I wanted, you know? Uh, because cause he gets asked on the commentary uh, on the Screen Factory disc for this. He gets asked, you know, if he thought that that was the wrong decision or not. And his answer, more or less, is like, fuck no, I did what I wanted, uh, <laughs> and it was the right decision, and I just didn't do it well enough. And and that's fair. I respect yeah. that. I respect him standing behind it. Um, For me, though, I get why fans were kind of upset with it, in a sense, because it's like, yeah, you, you don't really give much room for, like, why Ugg is suddenly, like, I've gone from thinking every crime on the planet needs to be destroyed to... I need to save these two crites and turn them into fucking bioweapons that will destroy everything. Right? It's a pretty big leap for Ugg, right? <laughs> it's been a few years, granted, yeah. but it's a pretty big leap. Um, but to me, what I more read into it and why why I ultimately kind of like this is it fits into uh, a theme which is actually really heavy throughout the movie, even heavier than the Western theme, <laughs> is... <laughs> is this idea of abandonment and especially abandonment by the father. So, you know, you've got your main character. I mean, the, the, the film is littered with examples. So, like, you've got your main character, Ethan, who was searching for his dad on Earth who he's never seen before. Like, so you get the idea that his daddy probably abandoned him as well. We don't really know the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have that. You have Rick, who I wouldn't really call a father figure, but he is, like, a lead figure for Ethan. You know, he's his boss. He's also kind of abandoning Ethan and the rest of the crew by trying to take off on the ship and leave. He, um, he hit him in the face with a fire extinguisher. Indeed. You know, that that's like peak abandonment, right? When you start hitting the child. I think that's abuse. <laughs> it's abuse. Um, you, You've got that. You've got uh, Charlie being abandoned by Ugg. And even though Ugg's not necessarily a father figure, he also was like an impressionable figure on him, right? He was a mentor. Uh, he was a mentor. Uh, the goddamn ship has been abandoned by everybody for reasons unknown to us, right? So, like, so like the theme of abandonment is just so prevalent throughout this entire movie, and, and just especially, like, with Ethan there and everything, that, that I do kind of like how this fits into it, because it it does come around and make a point, I think, which is, which you kind of hinted at, which is that, you know, sometimes we have to realize, like, <laughs> or, or sometimes... The people change thing, right? The, the the concept of people changing. We do have to realize sometimes that people change and that they're not maybe who we thought they were or that they're someone different uh, as Charlie has to do with Ugg because when we're able to do that, then we can then move on and accept new people who are wanting to take on those roles. And why I'm saying that is that you have Ethan and Albert and I'm not saying Albert wants to be Ethan's father figure, but he is sort of a father figure for him. Yeah. And yet Ethan's kind of looking at him like, fuck you, man, you're trash. You're not my daddy. <laughs> like, you know, like he's never met his dad. His dad abandoned him. And yet he, and yet Albert's like trying to be that for him. And he's like, no, fuck off. You're not my real dad. Right. You know, and so I feel like whether it means to or not, you know, indirectly the film's making this comment on just, you know, just accept people in mm-hmm. your life you know like move on from the people that 
hurt and abandon you and accept accept the Alberts in your life. <laughs> accept the Brad Dorifs. Because <laughs> if you don't, they will get shot in the face for your insolence. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you're... For me, you're just like, no, you came up with too much of a backstory for the characters, whereas you're just digging into all of the emotional thematics of the movie. That's what I do. I <laughs> uh, No, I totally agree with you. I think that, yeah, all of this is about accepting and looking around, looking around you at what you actually have and accepting it for what it is. Because if any of our characters had done that, then they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. You know, if Rick had just accepted the fact that he's not as smart as his crew and he doesn't get to fuck whoever he wants, like, he wouldn't have tried to break into a goddamn pod. Well, I mean, and speaking of Rick, too, I I think the other part of the commentary there with this is just this idea that men just kind of take whatever they want and move on, you know? Like this, Yes! Like, I mean, you know, you, you very... And I'm not saying it doesn't happen with women, but you very rarely hear the stories of, like, women, like, mother-abandoned men, and mm-hmm. it's more often fathers abandoning, right? Yeah. And, 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 this, and this film just plays constantly, you know, all throughout of, like, this idea of, yeah, men just taking and moving on. Like, yeah, you have Rick who just wants to take and get out of there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Ugg who just wants to take and get out of there. Again, the the people who were on the ship just took whatever they wanted and moved on and left it there to, you know, be stupid in the middle of space. Like, <laughs> poor uh, Angela. Poor Angela. You know, so, so yeah, I don't know. It, it's just funny to me. It, it's I, I love that we're looking at Critters 4 and we're like, here are these things that we can read into it, you know, but it's it's fucking Critters 4. Yeah. I, <laughs> but that's what we do. We, yeah. find, we find the things that matter in these <laughs> movies, even if they didn't mean for it to matter in the first place. <laughs> I, I do have to say one thing about Critters 4 that, like, I can't not have us wrap up the episode without talking about. And that's the fact that as much as I love Critters 4, there should have been more Krites in this movie. I just told you why there aren't, though, because they, they shot did two have a at bunch the same... I get it. They I shot get two it. at the same goddamn time. They didn't have the money for more Krites. They could have <laughs> just rolled more hairy balls everywhere. I don't care. I don't need them to have big scenes. The solution to everything, just roll more hairy balls around everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, the Krites didn't get to swear once in this film. That is a disappointment. Yes. But all right, so we got to wrap up. <laughs> uh, so who is your killer idiot of Critters 4? Look, my killer idiot is whoever person in that universe designed the pod that Charlie got in in the beginning without fucking instructions. Like, what kind of asshole doesn't leave instructions for the person who has to put something in there so they don't get trapped in a cryogenic tank? You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It always felt kind of purposeful to me that they trapped Charlie in there. Like, I, I honestly just thought that Charlie was being trapped in there intentionally. Ugg <laughs> was just like, you know what? For the betterment of the universe, I'm going to trap the last two Krites and my friend Charlie, and the universe will be safe. Yeah, they're going to leave this stupid idiot Charlie on, <laughs> on Earth to talk about critters that no longer exist. Like, I, you know, they were probably just like, yeah, well, we'll kidnap him and we'll kill him and feed him to the critters or whatever. And <laughs> Jesus. My killer idiot's Angela. How could it not be Angela? Angela's I the dumbest I love Angela. Char- I love her. It doesn't mean she's not the dumbest character in this movie. <laughs> I think that she's smarter than we give her credit for. She is a computer who has malfunctioned. S- <laughs> still, I think she's smarter than we give her credit for. For the sole reason that Angela has so many just like fun, funny lines in there that you can't help but feel like at to a certain extent she's fucking with the crew. Like, for me, there's the, especially that very end moment when she blows everything up and Ethan sends some kind of line of like, Angela, I hate you. And Angela's just like, oh, I can't take compliments from human garbage. I'm like, yes, that's fucking amazing. That's how you go out, Angela. She's still dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And she's also the reason why I am afraid of a world run by technology because... Because we never think these things through. Like, what if our entire house was run by an Angela? You know, like, we would die. We would die within a day because Angela would be like, oh, what's that? You want the sprinklers turned on and you want the acid in my backup tank put into the water (laughs) tank? You've got it. You know, like, you cannot trust computers. They have no feelings or morals. (laughs) Look, we learned that in the Disney movie Smart House. Exactly. It's been common knowledge for a very long time. Yes, you don't have it. And we're also not getting one because I don't know how to use technology. I'll starve. Well, it'll it'll kill you before you can figure it out. Um, uh, what about your killer death of Critters Four? Obviously, Rick. He gets a fucking crite down the throat. 
Yeah, no, it is Rick, and, and I like the symbolism there too because you know, I mean, not to not to be nasty about it, but we can kind of interpret what Rick intended to do with Fran, right? And so it's not so it's yep. kind of nice that he get he gets you know a big fur ball down his throat instead. So. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that I, suffocates him. <laughs> I do understand that there were budgetary reasons, but I wish I could have seen the three soldiers get eaten alive by a room filled with forty-seven crates. I mean, sure, that would have been fun. That would have been amazing. You don't talk about the fact that Ethan killed three people. Yeah, Ethan's a murderer. Yep. Ethan's a shithead. <laughs> Ethan, Ethan wants to fucking kill everybody because he can't see his goddamn dad. That's true. <laughs> My daddy. Like, he's just, he's all about his daddy, you know? Yep. Fuck everybody else. Fuck Albert. How could you do that to Brad Dorf? Uh, yeah. But what about your killer MVP of Cruise 4? The bald crate. I fucking love that thing. I think it's amazing. So I guess that would then go to, I think uh, I think it's uh, Dominic Murr designed the original critters. So whether... Actually, the Chiodo brothers designed Thank the you. <laughs> I was trying to figure out where to find it. I'm not good at finding names. I figured you would know who made them. Okay, so so the Chiodo brothers originally yeah. designed the crates. I don't I don't remember if Dominic did the ones for Critters three and four or not, but but no, yeah, my, mine was also the crates. They are the star of this movie, just mm-hmm. like they are of every Critters movie. Yep. And yeah, they were originally designed by the Chiodo brothers, who some of you probably know is uh, having been the geniuses behind Killer Clowns from Outer Space, one of my favorite movies <laughs> of all time. And, and yeah, I just wanted to add to that. I just I just love the the critter in his captain's chair. Like I just love him. Right. I just love him sitting in his captain chair and the other one rolling in and just like Captain Critter reporting for duty. Like I don't know something about it just makes me so happy. It's the best. <laughs> the the crates actually talking and us getting subtitles is. I think one of the most genius parts of the Critters films. Because I feel like a lot of times when you have, like, small creatures like this, there's a lot of, like, chittering and, like, jabbering at each other. But we almost never get subtitles with it. Mm. And I love the fact that the Krites are so smart. These Critters, they're so fucking smart. Um, But they have their own language. And they swear. And they'll fuck you up. They sure do. Um... All right, so that's going to do it for us on Critters 4. Uh, so thank you, as always, for listening. hope you enjoyed that. And if you have listened to this point and still haven't seen Critters 4, hopefully we've convinced you to check it out, even though I will, again, reiterate, it is my least favorite of the original <laughs> four. Um, <laughs> but next week we are going to be wrapping up our space horror theme for the month and putting Chris through hell with Event Horizon. <laughs> oh, God damn. Uh, which I don't even re- Have you even seen Event Horizon? I don't remember if you've seen that movie or not. But That's the one with the Jurassic Park man, right? Sam Neill, yes. Um, yep. <laughs> we watched it like a month ago. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to be talking about that. And I personally love this film, so I can't wait to get into that. Otherwise, just, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and we will see you next week, horror fans, so have a good night. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.